Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Amen. Church, it is good to see all of you here at Niwa. Great to have all of you at the Frederick campus, everybody online, and happy belated Thanksgiving. So I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. We had a great Thanksgiving at our house. It is the first time in 15 years that we did not host, um, which was super fun. I got to show up when I wanted, and I got to leave when I wanted. So that was like a good thing. My parents did an awesome job hosting. It was good, and I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Now, we are past Thanksgiving, and we are on to Christmas now. And uh, here at Rocky, I am telling you, Christmas is going to be a fantastic thing. We have been saying, invite, invite, invite. We've challenged you to invite one family or one person uh, this Christmas holiday, especially to Christmas Eve. But during the series that we start next week, I would encourage you to do that. I think some people are going to really enjoy and need um, what we're talking about. So who are you inviting? Two other things I want to encourage you with is uh, we're partnering with Well County Social Services, work with their foster care program. And then also with Colorado Friendship, and we have over 600 kids um, that we're providing gifts for. And so we want to ask you to help us with that. And so when you walk outside in the lobby at each campus today, there will be a table with gift tags, and you can pick as many of those as you want up, head to Target, bring back a wrapped gift. Uh, would be fantastic. It says what you should buy for that kid on there. We'd love to have you do it. And then also what you can do is you can go online to rocky.church slash this week, and we have about 200 gifts online for some specific schools and specific things they've asked us to get. And so we've got 400 some in the lobby, 200 some online, and you can go online to rocky.church slash this week to get those extra tags. So either way, if you're watching online today, just go online, you can buy those, and they've got instructions of what to do and what to buy. It would be great, but we wanna provide um, gifts for these kids, and that's another way we just show Jesus' love um, to our community. So do that. The other thing is, is that we've had a lot of baptisms lately. Been super excited about that. On December 11th, we're having a baptism celebration. If you've been thinking about it or know somebody who has been or your kid's been thinking about it, we'd love to have you do that on that day. So sign up for December 11th baptism celebration. All right? Everybody got it? Okay. You guys are halfway asleep. You're still like turkey coma. Okay. I hope hope Frederick's a little different this morning. Let's do it. So, hey, we're doing our last week of this series. Um, We've been talking about the idea of what's the deal with. We've gone through some big theological issues. We're going to go through an issue, kind of a different issue, that I think every one of us deals with. It's a problem that we all deal with. It's a script. It's a script that we say in our mind, and it's different for everybody, but it starts with the same three words. It's this kind of script, and it's a dangerous one. I mean, this script that we tell ourselves, it causes people to quit everything from jobs to marriages. Like one of the most dangerous things we say. And we'll say it, whether you say it out loud or in your mind, the words are this, if I just had. Like, you fill in the blank, what is it for you? If I just had this, and I'd be more happy, I'd just be more content, I'd find more fulfillment in life, if I could just get this thing, I'd be happier. And we do it with all kinds of stuff. Like the script is different for everybody, but you've got one, and I don't know what it is, but you fill in the blank. I could be happier if I just had more money, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better body or a better personality, 
If I had a better relationship or maybe even a relationship for that matter, if I had a different place to live, a different house, if I had a different car, and we do all kinds of things. We tell ourselves that script and we do all kinds of things to make it come true. Like we relocate, we quit jobs and try new jobs. Like we quit marriages, we get divorced and we try new relationships, all of these things. And what's interesting is every one of us know this, that we've had some kind of script like that and then we finally got that thing. And what happened? Were you content? Were you fulfilled? Maybe for just a little bit, maybe some temporary moments of happiness, but it always happens. We get tired of that thing or we just get content with that and then all of a sudden we're off to something else. You see, the script is the same for all of us. If I just had. So today we're gonna talk about the idea of what's the deal with contentment. Because I think it's something that we all deal with. Some of you walk in today and your contentment level, it's like, it's like not this big thing, not this horrible thing, but there's something like a level three thing that you're like, if I just had that. And there is some of you that you walk in today and your situation, your circumstance, your problem is at a level 10 and you're like, man, if I just had that, if I just had that, I could experience a little bit of happiness in my life. If I go all the way back to the beginning of our marriage, it was interesting. My wife and I got married. We lived in a beautiful place. We lived in the Portland, Oregon area, just outside of Portland. I was a youth pastor there. And what's interesting is we left that beautiful place. We actually left that beautiful place with family that was really close by. My wife had a great job. She was kind of hitting her you know, potential and things, doing really well, but I was frustrated. I wasn't content, so I moved my family three times in the first six years of us being married. And all of that was because I just wasn't satisfied with my job. Like I'd walk in and I was a youth pastor at a church and I'd be like, you know what, this is great, but if I just had this, man, I would just be able to do more. Like, I'd be more content, maybe if I had more opportunity, if I had a better church to work for, if I had a different senior pastor to work for, if I had a better salary, if I had a bigger budget to work with kids or to work with adults, or, and I just kept telling myself that the grass was greener on the other side, so I went searching for that greener grass. And every time I got there, I found out that that place had the same problems as the other place, or different problems, but they had problems. And what I probably didn't recognize is that I had problems. And I needed to mature, and I needed to grow, so I moved my family three times in the first six years of our marriage, even though my wife was hitting her swing, because I wasn't content with me, and I wasn't content with where God had me, and I just thought, if I just had, I'd find a little more happiness and a little more contentment. Man, what's the script for you? Because you've done this before, man, you've relocated, You've changed jobs, you, you've bought a different car, you've taken out a loan on a house or something that you didn't even know how you're gonna repay because you're just like, if I just had that, I'd be a little bit more content. Lisa Turker is my wife's favorite author and she is, she's a writer of two best-selling, uh, New York Times bestsellers. She writes this, she says, real freedom or contentment won't occur with just an external relocation. It requires a complete internal renovation. You see, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Like the grass is, it's not greener on the other side. You can go look all you want, but what you're gonna find is there are the same problems in life. What Lisa Turkers is saying is relocation won't change it. 
It's an internal renovation of our heart and our focus that leads to true contentment. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, it's one of my favorite chapters in scripture and one of the most famous verses in scripture. And he talks about the idea of finding true contentment. Philippians chapter four, verse 11, starting there, it says this, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wouldn't you like to have that? Like in your situation right now, in any and every situation, I've learned the secret of being content. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, context brings clarity. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. It is a church that he's closest to. Uh, They've provided for many of his needs in ministry and other things, and he's writing a thank you letter. This is actually a thank you letter for generosity. Talked about that last week and how we're supposed to be generous toward God's kingdom, what he's doing. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, he's saying, thank you for providing for my needs so I can bring the gospel to other places. But what's interesting about the context is Paul's writing, he's not writing from like a beach somewhere and saying, I've learned the secret to being content. Paul's writing from prison. And we don't know if he's writing from prison in Ephesus, one of the times he was in prison. He, we don't know if it's in Rome while he's awaiting his trial before Caesar. We don't know which situation he's writing from, but we know he's writing from prison. And it kind of just kind of makes you lock in when you know the context. You're just like, what does this Paul guy know that I don't know? What, how is he saying, I've learned the secret to being content in all things when he's writing from prison? Paul gives two Greek words. He writes here and he says, I found the secret of being content. And the word secret in the Greek is the idea, it's, it was used in mystic religions. And so it was other religions and what it was, it was this idea of a secret understanding or knowledge that the followers of that religion were supposed to aspire to that would help lead them to contentment and fulfillment. Lead them to peace. So it was this secret understanding. Paul's like, I found the secret. Like, I found this understanding that will lead to contentment. And then the Greek word for contentment is really interesting. It's only used one time in the New Testament, and it's actually the word for self-reliance. Now, that's interesting. We're, talking, we're supposed to, to be God-reliant, not, not necessarily self-reliant, but what Paul is saying is he's using this idea. He says, I found the secret to contentment. I found the secret to being internally strong, no matter what my external circumstances are. Can you say that? No matter what circumstance you're in right now, can you say that you found the secret of being internally strong no matter what your external circumstances are? And then Paul gives a secret. He says it in verse 13, one of the most famous verses in in scripture, he says, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. And maybe before we read 13, we ought to actually look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. Paul was saying that your circumstances are the arena for spiritual growth. 
Like it's the gym that you go to just to start working out your muscles, your spiritual muscles to begin to grow and to adapt to your circumstances, be internally strong, no matter what's happening on the outside. And Paul gives, he contrasts three different circumstances for him. He says, I I know what it means to be well-fed and to be hungry. Now, what you may not realize, Paul's in the Roman prison system. This is an interesting fact. Did you know that Roman prisoners were required to provide for their own food? That's why Paul's reaching out to the Philippian church and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you have provided for my needs. You see, if you're a Roman prisoner and you didn't have family or friends or a church or something that helped provide for your needs physically to eat, you died. They're like, man, we're not giving them three square meals a day. Man, if they've got people, they'll take care of them. If not, it's just one more off our list. Paul's like, I know what it means to be well-fed and to be hungry because I've been in this prison and I've had both. He says, I know what it means to live in plenty. Paul came from wealth and riches. He was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He was high up in society. He was kind of a first-round draft pick of of the next up-and-coming leaders. Right? He came from wealth. So he knew what it meant to have, but he also knew what it meant to be without because when he left being a Pharisee and a teacher of the law, left his position in Jewish society and he became a missionary for Jesus, he had nothing. He went from having everything to having nothing. Paul says, look, my circumstances, I, have, I know this. I know this thing called contentment because I have learned through each and every circumstance. And then he gives the secret, verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that verse. John three sixteen is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Philippians four thirteen might be the second most famous verse in the Bible. Like maybe not years and years ago, but man, in this age right now, if you've never read that in the Bible, you've probably seen it on a TV in a sports situation somewhere. Like Tim Tebow's eye black or Steph Curry's you know, t-shirts or his shoes. He's got a whole line of attire that just says that. I can do all things. It's his favorite verse. But here's the interesting thing. It's one of the most famous verses out there, but it's one of the most misunderstood verses in scripture. Because what we assume is Paul saying, I can do all things. I can accomplish anything. It's about accomplishing it. It's about winning. I mean, if Tim, Tim Tebow's gonna ride on his eye black and Steph Curry's gonna put on his shirt and his shoes, it must be about winning, right? It has nothing to do with accomplishment. It has everything to do with contentment. Paul's almost saying, it's almost be a better way to say it. He's saying, I can endure all things. Or I can be self-sufficient in every single situation. I can be internally strong, even when I'm externally just uncertain about everything around me, because I have Christ who gives me strength. You see, what Paul was saying is the secret of contentment is this. The secret of contentment, you can be self-sufficient when you are Christ-dependent. You can be self-sufficient in your life when you are Christ-dependent in your life. For everything in every single situation. We know Paul wasn't talking about accomplishing and winning because just the context of the verse, he's talking about his needs. You see, Paul lived in constant economic and physical uncertainty. 
Physical uncertainty being in a Roman prison, he didn't know what was happening tomorrow to him. He didn't know who was providing the meal for him tomorrow. Economic uncertainty, man, he was missionary for God when he was out of prison. He was showing up at places, asking for them to support him. He was making tents on the side, hoping he could sell some and bring some money in. Paul lived in incredible uncertainty, but he had this internal security and strength They said, man, I I can be internally, emotionally strong no matter what my external circumstances are. And can you say that? I mean, think about that economically for a second. We live in economic uncertainty. You turn on the news right now, it is a downer all the time. What are they talking about? Economy, economy, economy. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Thank goodness in the last week or so, gas prices have started to go down. Maybe food prices will Everything prices. Man, I was talking to my wife the other day. Everything out there. And we're trying to buy Christmas presents. You're looking at everything, and the price of everything has gone up. But has your income gone up? No, not necessarily, has it? Maybe if your employer was good to you this Christmas, maybe it has. But when you step back and you look at it, economic uncertainty, are you confident? Are you content? Or are you checking your investments every single day? Don't do that right now. <laughs> are you checking your investment every single day over the last couple years where you're just like, or last year or so, where you're going, man, what is it today? Or are you content and believing that God can take care of you and he will provide for you today and he will provide for you tomorrow? Let me ask you this, economically, when you think about God's gifts and what he's doing and God's mission Have you stopped giving because you're scared about what the economy's gonna do? You see, this is a time where we place our trust. Paul was saying, man, I am internally strong because I have a confidence in something else that's out there, not not economy, not my finances, not my stocks, not my retirement account, but I am leaning into the strength of God to provide for me every single day. And Paul would say, man, he does it every day. It's not just economy, what about image? Man, are you content with who you are and where God's placed you? Are you just searching social media and looking at what everybody else has and saying, if I had that? Or are you posting on social media and you go back minute after minute after minute and check how many people have responded to your post to see what people think about you? Man, that's a rough place to live when you're constantly concerned about image or are you being content and grateful for where God's put you, what he's provided for you and what he's trying to teach you right now? What about relationships? And no relationship is perfect, but are you content where you are and where you growing yourself where you are? You can't change somebody else, but you can change yourself. What about relationships for you if you're single? Are you content and believing that God's gonna provide for you and you're not settling for somebody that's not in the middle of God's plan? See, what Paul was saying is, man, I can be internally strong if I am right in the middle of what God wants for me. If I'm right in the middle of his plan, I know he's gonna provide. I can be content because I have a strength that surpasses anything in this world. I have a strength in God, in Christ, and if God can raise Christ from the dead, he can probably take care of my problems today. Do you have that strength? You can be self-sufficient when you're Christ-dependent. What's really interesting about Paul's situation 
is Paul would say, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you look at his situation and you're like, man, that's the plan that God had for Paul? Because I think there's a lesson that we can understand in Paul's circumstances and situation. And the lesson is this, that God empowers his plans. He doesn't empower our plan. And you're sitting there and you look at this context of this passage and you're like, okay, Paul's saying, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, you're saying, Sean, he's right in the middle of God's plan and he's in the middle of prison? He was. Like if you just, context means everything here. Like if you step back into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter nine, when when Jesus appears to Paul, Paul's a Pharisee, he hates Christians, he's showing up with warrants for their arrest, he's putting them in jail, he's having them executed. He was a guy in Acts chapter seven that stood by and oversaw the execution of Stephen, one of the up and coming leaders in the church. Acts chapter nine, he's got warrants for people's arrest. He's on a road to Damascus, he's going after Christians. And the risen Christ, Jesus, he has a vision of Jesus falls off his donkey, he's blinded, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, because his name before Paul was, was Saul, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He tells him to get up off the ground, have his servants lead him back into town. He goes back into town, and, and he sits there, and he says, wait for a guy named Ananias. Ananias comes, and he says, Paul, God's chosen you. You're not going to be a Pharisee anymore. You're not going to be against Christians anymore. You're going to be a Christian, and you're going to be a missionary to Christians. Paul gives his life to Christ. He gets baptized, and he becomes this missionary. It's interesting. God tells him, he says, Paul, you're going to stand before kings. Like, you're going to stand before kings, and you're going to share the gospel with the highest up people in government. And so in Acts 25, he's standing before some government leaders. He's being tried for preaching the resurrected Christ. And it gets to this point where it's like, there's no impasse. They're not figuring out what's gonna happen. He's not guilty yet. He's not innocent yet. They've not said anything. And he looks at the guy and he says, I appeal to Caesar. And you may be like, what does that mean? Man, in the Roman system, if you were a Roman citizen, which Paul was, he was a Roman citizen, you could appeal your case to the Roman court and appear before Caesar. And so what Paul did is in that moment, he said, God told me I'm gonna stand before kings, so I'm going big. (laughs) Like I'm going big or I'm going home. And so he appealed to Caesar. Paul was right in the middle of where he wanted to be and he was right in the middle of where God wanted him to be. And what God was doing is he was empowering his plan, not Paul's plan. Because Paul's plan started off that he wanted to make it to the top rank of being a Pharisee. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted wealth. He wanted power. And then he ran into Jesus. And all of a sudden, he submitted his plans to God's plan. And what God does when you submit your plan to him, he doesn't just discard your dreams and your passions. He brings them in and he uses them in his plan. God saw the drive that Paul had. God saw the passion that Paul had. God saw the dreams that Paul had to be successful and to move and to make something happen, to make a difference. And what he said, he said, Paul, you're about the wrong thing. Let's be about the right thing. And he brought him into his plan and Paul went for the top. You see, because God empowers his plan, he does not empower your plans. And the big question for you right now, whether you're sitting right here at Niwot, you're at Fred, you're watching online, the big plan for you, or the big question for you right now is am I in the middle of God's plan for my life. Some of you are sitting there today and you're like, man, I, 
why isn't God opening doors for me? Well, the question would be is, are you in the middle of his plan? Now, God sometimes makes us be patient. His timing's not our, pay, our timing. But for some of you, he's not opening doors because you're not in the middle of God's plan. Relationally, you're not in the middle of God's plan. For some of you, you're settling right now. You're settling in a relationship. You're not married, you're single, and you're settling for somebody who's outside of God's plan. They're not living in God's plan, they're not leading you toward God's plan, and you're saying, God, why aren't you opening doors for me? And he's saying, because it's not my plan. If you just rearrange your plan and get on track with mine, get in the middle of my plan and start waiting for the right kind of person that will be God-honoring and be respectful to you, someone that you're not leading all the time but can be leading you also, you can work together, man, you gotta wait on God's plan, work on yourself until he provides the right one for you. And some of you, God's plan for marriage, you're having sex outside of God's, God's plan for marriage. It doesn't matter what age you are, here's the deal, you need to understand, God's not gonna bless that plan because it's not his plan. And man, if you're a teenager or young adult in here and you're involved in that, here's what happens. You're gonna mess up God's plan and even your thoughts and your understanding what pure and beautiful sexuality is within God's plan. There's always redemption and there's always grace, but God's got a better plan for you. And you think about things and situations and material things and where you live and the situation you were with in your, in your job. You look at that. The question is, am I right in the middle of God's plan or am I bringing him in the middle of mine? Because here's the thing. God will not empower and bless your plan if it's not God's plan. Paul inserted himself right in the middle of God's plan even though it was hard and you're sitting here today because of it. You see, Paul ended up going to Rome. Paul had started churches all over Europe, and they had sent people out to start churches in North Africa, and in the Middle East, they had started churches everywhere, and it began to spread. And Paul went to Rome, and I've said this before. He went to Rome, he appealed to Caesar, he gave the gospel to Caesar. The church spread like wildfire across the Roman Empire, not because he said it to Caesar, but because he had planted so many churches. And 300 years later, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, legalized Christianity as the national religion of Rome. You see, when Paul stuck himself right in the middle of God's plan, God gave him contentment, God gave him peace, and God gave his plan through Paul success. And some of you right now, you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, I, man, if I just had. You see, Paul's script wasn't if I just had. He didn't say if I had more money. No, he said, I've got the Philippian church. I got people that are taking care of me. Man, if I was just out of these chains. No, he said, I got a captive audience. I got a Roman soldier next to me all day long, 24 hours a day that I can share the gospel with and they're sharing with other people. Paul didn't say if I just had. He said, man, I, I've got Christ and I can be content in any and every situation through Christ who strengthens me. You see, contentment is it's, it's not just the fulfillment of what you want now. What contentment is, is the appreciation of what you have and where God's put you.
can you say that? I'm content with what I have. And I'm content with where God has placed me. And here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you don't desire something else. I guarantee you, Paul sat in that prison and he said, man, look at this opportunity I've got. And I'm waiting on the big opportunity to go to Caesar. But man, it'd be nice if I was out of these chains. There's a truth in that. You can be content where you are and still desire something different. But you can be grateful for what God's provided for you right now. If you're single, you can be content being single and still desire to be married. God understands and he wants to provide the right person for you. You can be content in the job you have right now and still desire something different, a promotion or a different job or a different company to work in, but you can be grateful for what you have right now. You can be a new parent and, and be content and excited about your kids and still desire some sleep. <laughs> like God gets that. No matter what your situation is, you can be content, you can be internally strong by leaning into God. You can be self-sufficient if you're God-dependent, no matter what your circumstances are. And what's interesting, if I look back, I just always would say, man, I think the grass is greener on the other side. But when I made it to the top and was actually a lead pastor at another church, I figured out, man, this church has got the same problems. But when you're forced to stay somewhere and you fall in love with a place, you begin to realize that when you stay and you grow and you begin to water the grass where you are, man, God provides. And God does miracle after miracle and he brings people like all of you and he brings opportunities and he brings things that we get to do together to bring the gospel to other people. He provides, he provides, he provides when we are content with him. You see, what Paul understood was that contentment is not the absence of problems. Contentment is the presence of God. It's not the absence of problems that brings peace in your life. It is the presence of God that brings peace. And so my question to you would be, what are your thoughts? Like, do your thoughts lean toward gratitude and 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 contentment, or do, are your thoughts constantly, especially in this season of holidays and all the family gatherings, all that, is it, is it constantly just, if I just had? Did you know that you can actually control your thoughts in the kind of thoughts that you will have? You actually have some control over whether you will have more thoughts of gratitude and contentment or more thoughts of discontentment and desire? I read this thing last week that is called um, it's, it's this idea of neuroplasticity, and, and it has to do with our brains. And, and if you watch the Rocky Weekly, I talked about this this last week, but neuroplasticity is the idea. It's a scientific phenomenon that your thoughts are actually just proteins in the synapses of your brain. So every thought that you have is just another protein that attaches to the synapses of your brain. And what's interesting is the more you have thoughts about a certain thing, the more proteins go to that area of your brain and bond and attract other proteins there. So when you have a thought of discontentment, what it does is it attracts more proteins, more thoughts of discontentment, and it begins to grow in your brain. It actually takes up residence and real estate in your brain. When you have more thoughts of contentment and gratitude, it actually takes up more real estate in your brain. So what you think about actually grows and attracts other thoughts in your mind. So the question comes back again, 
Which do you have more thoughts of? Which takes up more territory in your brain? Is the thoughts of gratitude to God and what he's provided and who he's created you to be right now and what he's provided you and where he's placed you? Do you have more thoughts of gratitude about that, thanking God for what you do have? Or do you have more thoughts of pushing God out of the way saying, man, if I just had this? Because those thoughts attract more thoughts. We've got to take back territory in our minds by changing our thoughts to thoughts of gratitude and contentment. Lisa Turkhurst has a great idea. I was reading an article a couple years ago and had never used it, but I just always kept it because I was, thought it was so good and it was about the holidays. And she talked about the holidays. She said a, a truly grateful person is a content person. She said, if you want to find more contentment and gratitude this year during the holidays, because we all could use that, stressful, man, you're dealing with family, there's all the different things that are, that are happening. If you want to find more contentment in your life, then she said this, be a noticer. She just used this idea. She said, just be a noticer. She talks about the idea of noticing, pausing, and choosing. And guys, what you need to understand about this lady is this is not a lady who's just a best-selling author of a bunch of books out there that lives with plenty and has everything she wants. She's a woman that has two different stories of the same husband cheating on her and blowing up her family. You step back in and you say, here's my circumstance and here's what's difficult. Lisa Turkhurst writes from experience. Paul writes from experience and she says, be a noticer. Notice something every day to be grateful for. Notice something every single day to be grateful for and then pause. Pause and recognize that's something that God has put in front of you as proof of his presence in your life. Remember because peace and contentment isn't the absence of problems, it's the presence of God. That's something that you're grateful for is proof of his presence in your life. And then you you wait. Notice and pause, and then what she says you do is you just wait until that peace, that presence, his presence gives way to his peace in your life. Notice, pause, and choose. Notice something to be grateful. Pause and recognize God's presence, and then choose. Choose to focus on his presence until his peace follows. Man, if I go all the way back to that script, my script was always, man, the grass is greener on the other side. I heard somebody say once, and I loved it. He said, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. I love that line. Because you may not need a relocation. You may not need a different relationship. You may not need a different job. You may not need something, anything more in your life. What you need to do is water your life with God's presence. And that's where you find peace and contentment. See, Paul's script wasn't, if I just had. Paul's script was, man, if I had more God in my life, I'd find contentment. What if you change? What would it do for you this year? If you change the script from, if I just had that, If I just seek more of him, I'll find the contentment and the strength to make it through every day. Let's pray. Father, I am, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this place. I'm grateful for these people. 
I'm grateful for where you have me, my family, for what you've provided. And Father, I know that there's, for each and every one of us, there's that script that we just, we just want a little more. Father, help us to remember that that little more that we really want is you. So Father, this Christmas, instead of saying, I just want more of this, help us to say, I just want more of you. Father, maybe we even change Philippians 4.13 just to the idea that I can endure all things, I can be content in all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, Father, I pray that that will be our prayer. I pray that we will seek you out. And, Father, I pray that you will more than provide. For those, Father, that need to place their faith in you, I pray that they will do that. Maybe December 11th, they'll sign up to be baptized and they'll make make that the day that they place their faith in you. And, Father, for the rest of us that just need to rearrange our priorities and get back in the middle of your plan for our life, Father, help us to do it, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And then, Father, I pray that you will bless and provide far beyond what we can imagine. God, help us to rearrange our thoughts, our mind toward you. God, I thank you for every person who's watching today. Pray that you'll bless. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.